0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time 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 for for Taiwan This Week.
1: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined on the telephone this evening by ICRT's Central Taiwan correspondent, Donovan Smith. And good evening. And from Kaohsiung by ICRT's Southern Taiwan correspondent Michael Smith. Thanks for having me. Tonight we'll be discussing more polling stations promised for January's election, a spat between the central government and the Gaoshung City Hall following some recent violent incidents involving known mobsters in the city, the unveiling of Taiwan's first domestically made advanced jet trainer, the release of President Tsai Ing-wen's doctoral dissertation and bad news for Tainan due to global warming. But we'll begin with the latest election news from this week, where the People First Party found itself in the headlines for the first time so far this election news cycle, after reports surfaced that Taipei Mayor Kur Wen Jie and former Legislative Speaker Wang Jinping have tried to hold talks with PFP Chairman James Sung. Now, according to the PFP Secretary General Lee Hong Jun, and Wang approached the party after Terry Guo dropped his plans to run in January's election. And Lee says that Sung has not yet held talks with either Ku or Wang, but the possibility comes as the PFP is considering its candidates for the legislative election and possible cooperation with other political heavyweights. Now the PFP Secretary General also says that Sung could still join the presidential race and a final decision on that and concerning possible cooperation with others will be made by mid-October. Meanwhile, former New Taipei City Mayor and losing KMT 2020 presidential primary hopeful Eric Ju is being linked to his possibly running as Guo Yu's vice presidential candidate and Jew is dismissing such a move, telling reporters on Tuesday of this week that there is no such thing as a hand Jew ticket, there are calls for Jew to run, as recent polls have been showing that the KMT <coughs> presidential nominee is lagging behind President Tsai Ing-wen, who of course is running again. Now some people in the KMT have said that Jew should step up to the plate, and that moving to the plate is urgent. As they say, if Jew doesn't post any interest in it, it could spell, well, Han might not win. And apparently, according to a poll, um, Han Guoyu's approval rating could rise by 7 percentage points if Eric Ju runs as his vice president. So, Michael, you're in Kaohsiung, a Han Ju ticket. Ju's playing it down, but polls say Han could get a boost from it. Yeah,
0: I mean, he does get a a little uptick uh, with with Eric Ju, and uh, it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like Han is, is uh, being able to attract uh, very many other uh, potential candidates who would give him a boost. So he, he he really does need it because as it's looking right now, he looks like he could repeat the the loss of of uh, Eric Ju uh, to Chiang Wen in 2016 with uh, you know maybe only polling around 30 something percent of the vote and. So you, you got to somehow uh, feel sorry for uh, Zhu Lun or Eric Zhu. I mean, this guy—he is the consummate Taiwanese KMT politician. I mean, his grandmother's house is a historic site in Taoyuan. He has been the KMT chair. He served in Taoyuan. Then he beat Hsing Wen for New Taipei mayor. I mean, this guy is the safe, boring choice that uh, should by, you know, on paper, have been elected president several times by now, but he just cannot get traction going. And I really wonder whether or not he wants to step up to the plate, as you mentioned, one more time, as he did last time when he was uh, the replacement candidate for Hong Shui Cho uh, Zhu. And uh, does, does he want to go through this again? Does he want to lose again, which is pretty much what the, what the indicators are showing. And uh, if I were him, I would probably not want to do this. However, he does have a reputation for coming to the plate when, uh, when he's uh, asked to do so. So um, it, I, I, I don't know if it would affect uh, the vote down here in Kaohsiung very much. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 he's, he's definitely the best candidate that Han could get, if Han can get him, put it that way.
1: And, of course, Donovan, this is being called in because, of course, Han Guo support base is predominantly older people. But, of course, Eric Ju is they're thinking he would attract the younger vote. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that that is pretty funny. Um the uh I, I don't exactly see I, I the thing is one of the problems the KMT has they have very few people in the party who attract people under 40 period um and eric chu is is, is no exception there um now i mean he obviously he's he is the grand, kind of that he i think he gives uh hand a little bit of a boost because he's viewed as a grown-up in the room but for eric chu there's not really much of an upside here um and he's been moderate, uh, of all the major KMT figures, he's been, and this this was really very interesting, is the amount of distance that, that major KMT figures are putting between themselves and Han Guoyu. Eric Chu seems to be signaling as much as possible, look, I'm a loyal party guy, so I, you know, I'm on board for Han Guoyu because he's the nominee. But he, he doesn't come across as really enthusiastic about him by any means. Um, it, yeah, and so it's running from one extreme to the other, where you've got uh Yi, the uh, Eric Tu's successor, won't touch a Han Kui-y with a 10-foot pole. And he's the new Taipei city mayor. He's the mayor of the biggest city in the country and probably the most popular KMT uh, political figure right now, and doesn't want anything to do with Han, um, is avoiding him like the plague. Then you've got Yan Biao and uh, the red and black faction leaders here in... Um, in Taichung, and they're embracing them. And out of the eight uh, legislative candidates here in Taichung, six of them uh, posed for a joint billboard uh, with Han Kuo-yu. They're splashing it all over the place, a show of unity. But it's not a show of unity because it's very obviously and notably missing two of the legislative candidates. One of whom has come out flat out and said, uh, "No, I don't want Han to campaign with me." and the other is uh Lucio Yen our Taichung mayor's uh vice mayor and the mayor herself is not on the board so it's uh, i it, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of rumors about uh you know Ma really doesn't like him very much after you know the incident uh at, at his rally and it goes on and on and on but there's a lot of people in the KMT distancing himself. So Eric Chu would be a big win for him.
0: And if if you were to possibly try to uh, uh, perhaps balance out the ticket with someone who's uh, you know respected or well known in the South, also no names come up. You know the only person down here who who switched sides was Yang Chaoxing, the former you know the former Gaocheng uh, <laughs> County uh, magistrate, <laughs> right? But he. Uh, seems to despise Han after initially uh, uh, getting on board. So there's, there's yeah. just really no one else. So, I mean, it may come down to him doing it out of a sense of duty. But, yeah, I agree with Donovan. I don't think he, he wants to do this in any way.
1: Well, of course, Donovan, you interestingly mentioned KMT factions. And, of course, earlier I said that apparently Wang Jinping could be looking towards the PFP to have something to do with this election.
2: Yeah, it's confirmed uh that he's reached his people have reached out to their people but uh James Sung is overseas so he'll be coming back. Um, <clears throat> now Wang Jinping, up to this point he's been saying I I am running to the end. He's running for president and he's going to continue running all the way down to the to you know to the end. But he dropped out of the KMT primary. He's still a KMT member. He didn't register uh as an independent. Uh, so really, the only two options and uh, the, the only options left are the four parties who qualify to submit a, a, a presidential candidacy on November 22nd. Uh, the DPP is not, obviously not going to choose them. The KMT is going with Han kuo at this point. Um, so that leaves the PFP and the New Power Party. The New Power Party, obvi- for obvious reasons, is not going to choose them. So that leaves the PFP. Now, whether the PFP will want them or not. Is another is is a a huge question. I, you know, James Song himself uh, keeps running and keeps losing, but he does that strategically. I think Um, he he's got a support base of his own. It's not huge, but he has it. And when he goes out and when he runs for president, those people who come out for him also tend to check off the party list for the the legislature. Legislators, so that helps bring up the vote count for the PFP, which has meant that they've been able to, like in the last election they, they pulled over five percent, which means that they get party list legislators, they're able to form their own caucus, they can nominate the presidential candidacy without having to raise the signatures, and a bunch of little bonuses and you know cash from the government and so on and so forth. So if you're the PFP, running a presidential candidate is probably a good idea. Uh, James Song is their old warhorse, and basically he is the party. Um, if they bring in Wang Jinping, he's semi new blood, but a lot of the people, the PFP is a bench, uh, essentially a bunch of ex KMT figures. A lot of them from factional po- politics, so he might be useful, but I don't know if he'd be much more useful than than James Song himself. If I were the PFP and I were James Song. I would be trying to get Terry Go because Terry Goh, or Guo Timing, the Foxconn founder, he didn't. If you look at the wording on his video, where uh, he, uh, on the video he released uh, that everybody calls him pulling out of the race, he didn't actually say he was pulling out. What he said was, "Is I'm I'm going to withdraw from the signature drive to qualify as an independent candidate." That's, and so he didn't actually say he wasn't running for president. He also went on to say that he's, he's tired of, the, of politics, he wants, and he basically painted himself above the fray, he's tired of the tone of politics, declared his loyalty for uh, the Republic of China, and then closed out the video saying basically, oh, I will remain in politics, um, and it, when Taiwan needs me, I'll be here right but then you
0: have also the apple daily uh, report from just a couple days ago that was reprinted in the asia times saying that beijing specifically in july told terry goal not to run and to focus on uh, uh... facilitating ties between the two sides and that this was not his election year essentially vetoing his candidacy and uh, perhaps giving a, a nod in twenty twenty four i mean if that's the case that raises all sorts of questions, but yeah, um, it, it, I, I don't yeah. think he's, he's in the game this time around. Well,
2: here's the thing, though, is, I, you know, every, you know I, I just did the uh, a whole uh, show on Current Affairs Taiwan on this, but basically talking about this, because there's a whole series of theories as to why he pulled out, and not one of them actually seems to all add up. Hmm. The China one doesn't entirely add up, because he would have known... Uh, I mean, his connections with the the Chinese Communist Party have to run deep, because you can't be as successful and powerful in business in China without having them. So they would have signaled him, I think, long before July. Um, So it's a possibility, but it's it's a weak one. In other words, it, it may be true. But why that? And then there's other, you know, indications they tried to signal through them via the stock market, or they tried to signal them this way or that way, when they could probably have picked up the phone. I, you know, they they could get could have gotten in touch with them a long time ago. So and the idea that he couldn't. Why buy did he keep running, running until? This law, China's already it. vetoed it. it, it, it just, there's a lot of things that just don't quite add
1: up. Well, I mean, Michael, do you see Do you see James Sung not running for president, but running for vice president for his own party and letting Terry Gore run for the presidential spot? <laughs>
0: um, every uh, election since, like, uh, at least uh, 2008 that I was covering for ICRT, uh, the station sent me to the James Sung uh, headquarters, and it was less than an inspiring uh, thing to cover. But uh, my gut was tell me that if anybody's going to be at the top of that ticket, it's got to be James Song, unless he's uh, somehow lost his edge, because that guy will run for anything and everything, and uh, I just can't see him playing second fiddle uh, in this particular case, especially when uh, he doesn't have a, a, a very clear chance of winning. I mean, the, the only time he's He's uh, been willing to play second fiddle when he thought he had a, a much better chance, so I, I don't see it now. But apparently, in the, in the last
1: election, James Sung and the PFP garnered like 1.5 million votes. Stick Terry Gore on the ticket, and would, do you think, make, maybe he could get edged towards 25% of the vote, or is that a bit of a big of an estimate, Donovan?
2: Well, see, here's the thing. This is why I think this is a very <clears throat> interesting thing. If I were James Sung... And I would try. I was thinking through this thing without a giant ego. Now that's a, that's an assumption here that, that that may be very flawed. But <laughs> um, the thing is the PFP at one time was very powerful, and I think that James Song has to be looking at, at several things here if he wants to grow the party again, make it a significant player again. Um, he needs to bring in new blood, and it, the party can't just be the James Song party. So, if he wants to look at a legacy, if he's the guy who founded and carried through the party to you know longer term success, that's a, a decent legacy. He founded it, the party, and the, it went on to great glory afterward. He needs to bring in new blood. Now, he's not going to bring in He himself is not going to bring in anyone new. Terry Go, however. Brought in, uh, he was polling reasonably well uh, and taking away voters from both Tie and Han, so he could bring in a lot more people. He was polling in the you know mid twenties uh, on uh, on his own, which is way better than James Sung was doing. So if you bring in Terry Go, you bring in fresh blood in terms of voters, uh, you bring in larger numbers across the board. Um, Terry Go is already preparing some uh, legislative candidates. Uh, he could pro- possibly bring in uh, Ke Pi or Koewenza, the Taipei mayor, uh, and Wang Jinping together and form a whole new block. Now, negotiating all these various egos is, of course, a huge stumbling block. I don't think Wang Jinping or Ke Pi like each other very much. Um, you know, so there's a, there's a lot of obstacles to that happening. But if he could pull that off. Uh, and fold in maybe the TPP um, or work with the TPP, uh, which is Cohen's party. They could j- actually build some kind of new block, but that's a lot of negotiating and a lot of egos. Oh, fighting over a lot of you know a relatively small number of positions. But on its own, the philosophy James is isn't going to improve the, the, anything. The t-
0: the philosophies seem to be uh, at, at loggerheads as well, because you've got the TPP with uh, uh, Kopi or Mayor Co saying that he wants to stay completely away from the topics of unification or uh, independence. But it's, it's, it's something that you kind of have to take a side on if you get elected into any sort of high office in Taiwan. It's... it's it's the main uh, point of contention that we have here. I mean, there's not yep. a lot of other issues that are the, the main big, uh, you know, dinosaur-in-the-room sort of thing. So I don't know how his middle-of-the-road thing would go with the uh, uh, People First Party, which is definitely more of a conciliatory uh, party towards Beijing. And then if Terry Guo were in there as well, that would be a, a whole other thing. So, yeah, mixing cool. these into one cake is, uh, is, uh, is, a, is a tall order.
2: But I mean, Here's the thing is that, you know, Kupi already came out and said he was supposed... Supporting Terry Goh, who's clearly pro-unification for president, he's already said that repeatedly, and stepped aside so that Terry Go could run. Now Terry Go blindsided him, but um, uh, you know that. Uh, so he he is pretty, apparently, pretty easily can swallow that.
1: Right, and we should move on from politics, because that was a lot of politics to swallow there. And we'll move on to a spate of violent incidents involving organised crime gangs in Kaohsiung, and the central government's decision to send Interior Ministry officials, as well as members of the Criminal Investigation Bureau, down south to investigate the case, which has led to claims that the DPP government is seeking to discredit Mayor hanguo Yu and his chances of running, of course, in next year's election. Now, Interior Minister Xu Guoyong this week explained that the decision by the central government to look into the reports of an increase in the number of violent incidents in Kaohsiung was solely aimed at getting a better understanding of the situation. And Xu told reporters this week that public safety and concerns that the near riots could have a negative effect on Kaohsiung's tourism industry were the only reasons for the visits, and he said that the central and local governments should work together to tackle the violence. So, Michael... That- organized crime basically lots of people taken to the streets i believe 70 people were arrested and 10 of them remain in custody
0: right so the city government Gaozhong city government has come out with statistics to show that this year the crime rate in general in gaucheng has fallen by a couple of percentage points over uh, you know previous periods and and the, these statistics may in fact be correct but of course perception is more important than numbers in many cases and this is one of those cases so we're talking about stuff like a pet store in downtown gaozhong and this is all caught on video and shown you know repeatedly on every news channel possible one night uh, a group of thugs comes with baseball bats and tries to smash the windows but the windows are apparently reinforced glass so their bats just sort of bounced off of it which was rather comical and then the next night or the and a couple nights later they show up with guns this time and fire a few shots and uh, it turns out that it uh, appears that this is a, a dispute between two live streamers or YouTubers or whatever they're calling these people these days but both of these dudes have some sort of connection to organized crime one of them is just a straight up gangster who uh, evidently fancies himself an actor because he's been in various TV shows and other things he's uh, trying to do like a talk show and so he gets on on his uh, live stream thing and he makes some comment about being slighted by this person and then his thugs go out and then other thugs go out so this sort of stuff, when you're talking about a shooting at a pet store in downtown Kaohsiung, that is really something that will affect people's opinion of safety in the city, whether or not, you know, the overall murder rate or whatever else has dropped slightly or however it is. So I have to agree with the central government that these incidents, including the one you mentioned with 70 people, I think there were fireworks thrown in near a night market and this sort of stuff, this stuff will affect uh... perception and possibly tourism however you can't discount the uh... possibility or the likelihood that the central government uh, is looking for any way that they can to possibly highlight the uh... lack of governance that uh... the mayor of Gaosheng could be displaying i mean if this is politics and 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 you would do something like that if you could most likely so uh... one theory that has been put out there and i don't know if this is a talking point or if it has any validity necessarily but um Han right now is doing a lot of visits. He he, he the yesterday or the day before he was down by the 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 waterway once again looking at sites for possibly putting his love ferris wheel uh, then he was uh, at another meeting arguing with a dpp official over whether or not he ever said that there should be gas exploration in the Taiping uh, islands and so he he moves around a lot Then he also visits temples constantly which is you know something you do when you're running for president he's up in taichung he's up in taipei and there has to be police that accompany him on all of this so is it possible some people are asking that the police department is busy, running around taking care of the mayor and, and uh, offering security, and sort of, sort of left a void for these things to occur. So the one gangster guy who fancies himself an actor, he has been arrested, I think he was arrested in New Taipei City, and then just the other day, the other person who was in a beef with him was arrested here in Kaohsiung. So they are making progress in uh, rounding up these people, and, and uh, the, that, that is happening. But, yeah, definitely, we are feeling, uh, at least I am and most of the people I talk to, we are feeling that there's a, a bit of a, a degradation of, of safety here in the city.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that that pretty much all sums it up. Um, you know, in Taichung here, there was a little bit of a similar sort of talk, but it's died down. Um, the incidents were different than that, obviously. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, I think uh, I, I think Michael's pretty much uh, summed that all
1: up. Right. On those numbers you were talking about, Michael, apparently the Kaohsiung Police Department says that the number of criminal cases in the city has declined by 2.09% from the same period of last year. And officials have said that the recent violent incidents are likely isolated cases. And that,
0: that, that, that may well be true, and uh, in fact it probably is true, but again, it's about how I feel, right? I, I used to feel a little bit more comfortable walking uh, on the downtown streets of Kaohsiung at, say, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, whereas now I feel slightly less comfortable doing that, and that's got to have an effect, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, when I'm shopping for pets at 3 in the morning, I want to feel <laughs> safe.
1: <laughs> but it's apparent, yeah. it, apparent it's OK because Mayor Yu has said that he could replace the head of the city's police department if the violence continues. So right. I guess you're all safe now.
0: Yeah, yeah that's not going to fly uh, so far. And uh, we'll have to see what the, what the tourist numbers are, are but, uh, yeah, uh, we'll see what effect that has.
1: We have to take a short break now, but we'll be right back after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week and the Aerospace Industrial Development Corporation unveiled the first prototype of its new indigenous advanced jet trainer on Tuesday of this week. The aircraft, known as the Brave Eagle, was unveiled at a ceremony which took place at the government-owned aviation company's Taichung Manufacturing Plant. And speaking at the event, President Tsai Ing-wen described development of the trainer jet as a milestone achieved by Taiwan's air force and aerospace industry before hopping into the cockpit of the aircraft and waving as the local media took photos of her. Now, the advanced jet trainer is based on the indigenous defense fighter which is also manufactured by AIDC and when in operation the new trainer jet will replace the Air Force's AT3 and F5 aircraft. Now AIDC has a contract to build 66 of the trainers for delivery to the Air Force by 2026 and officials say that ground testing on the first aircraft to roll off the production line will begin later this month while flight testing is expected to start in June of next year. So Donovan, Taijong, AIDC the first indigenous jet Training aircraft.
2: Yeah, well, I, I, I'm not a military analyst, so I can't really special, you know, talk much on that. Um, but obviously, it's it's the, the the trainers that they have are are they're using now are quite old. I mean, F5s and AT3s are not exactly recent aircraft. Um, how good these new aircraft uh, are or will be, I think that 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 remains a fairly open question. Um, <clears throat> you know, for for here in Taichung, the you know the the part that that potentially is exciting, is they're talking up the idea that this uh, could be worth billions of U.S. dollars in export sales, um, selling these around the world. Um, How big of a market there is for this, I I really don't know, uh, for training aircraft. Um, And apparently they can be used uh, in war, although they didn't really, uh, you know, they can arm them with missiles and bombs, though exactly how useful they would actually be is an open question.
0: Yeah, I was just going to echo the same thing Donovan mentioned about the export of them because that seems to be the most uh, potentially lucrative or uh, yeah thing that could come out of this. Um, and you know it's uh it's a big milestone for for Taiwan in general if you look back over the history of these uh indigenous fighter jets you know all the way back to Jiang Jingguo and uh the time when Reagan was in office saying the six assurances to Taiwan getting a transforma- a tra- transferring a technology and all of this so it's been a very very long run for the uh the IDF or various airplane that that, that Taiwan has has manufactured and this one seems to be, um, you know, of global standards. And uh, Gavin, you would know better than I think both of us. But uh, I don't know how well it stands up to China's what is it, J J six or some of the ones that they have over there. But uh, it seems to be a, a major breakthrough. So you know, gongxi. And
2: mercifully, they didn't uh, give it a silly acronym.
1: Hey, of course, the name was voted on by the public. Of course, it was. Yes. Called, it was called Brave Eagle after the Air Force opened up the naming of the aircraft to an online poll. So yes. the name there, Michael, Brave Eagle, good name, bad name for an aircraft.
0: Um, I'm just going to echo what Donovan said. The, uh, the the main thing is that it didn't does not have the same designation as the former planes, which uh, had a very close to rude word as its designation and that was just ridiculously uh, hilarious so uh,
2: brave eagle in my view works just fine
1: donovan would you have voted for brave eagle
2: uh, probably not but again uh, as michael said it's a whole lot better than the previous alternatives <laughs> and i'm glad the public did not go with something like eagle McEagle face <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Eagle McEagle Yeah, That would have been a bit silly, really, wouldn't it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, completely, and of course, the photograph of Tai in the cockpit. Now, of course, many years ago when Li Donghui jumped in the cockpit of a recently completed IDF aircraft, there was a photo of him doing much the same thing. So, we compare the photos. Which one is best? Li Donghui IDF cockpit or Tai wen Brave Eagle cockpit? Hmm,
0: hard call. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> I, think she, uh, I think she looked pretty good,
0: actually, for the most part. I think uh, the the overall impression that you were left with after seeing the plane, the shiny new plane, and the the rollout and everything, the overall feeling was a positive one, and I think it probably gave her, you know, a little tiny bump in whatever poles there were.
2: Yeah, they had very nice dramatic lighting and all that kind of thing going on. It, it was a you know nice a nice show. Yeah.
1: Right, moving away from defence issues and moving on to things of an educational background, and President Tsai Ing-wen on Monday of this week released the original version of her doctoral dissertation from the London School of Economics. Now, the move came amid ongoing claims by some that her degree is a fake. Now, presidential office spokesman Alex Huang explained that Tsai authorised the National Central Library to put her doctoral dissertation up for public review in order to bring an end to those claims. Now, and a member of Tsai's legal team also said Said that her academic degree has been verified by the National Jungji University, the Ministry of Education and the Central Election Commission. Now, the president's academic credentials have been under scrutiny since former television political talk show host Peng Wen-jung claimed in a Facebook post in June that Tsai's doctoral dissertation didn't in fact exist. And since then, two other academics have also claimed that Tsai has been faking her dissertation for 35 years. And the KMT earlier this month even said that it was planning to form a review committee to assess the authenticity of Tsai's doctoral diploma so Michael she released her diploma and it all didn't seem to go away as quickly as possible
0: Right. Uh, this is uh, really um, quite uh, egregious and ridiculous. I mean, back in 2016, when she won the election, the London uh, School of Economics congratulated her, called her uh, a doctoral, uh, you know, she called her Dr. Tsai and said that she was an alumni of the school and confirmed that. Uh, that. And then recently they've come out and confirmed it again. It's been verified by, as you just uh, listed, several other uh, sources. So it's uh, the, the, the facts seem to be there. But what's what's what's. Scary about this is that the poll numbers earlier this week said that somewhere around like it was somewhere in the 30s of, of a percentage of Taiwanese voters considered this thing to be a, a very important or very troubling issue. And, you know, once you get ahead of the narrative and you're there and you're making these claims, you know, whether or not it's fake news or not, if you get it out there first and put Seeds of doubt into people's minds. There are many people who don't do the research and who just don't uh, don't listen to facts these days, and uh, that's that's the concerning thing for me. Yeah,
2: who would listen to facts? I mean, you know, they're <laughs> they're, they're troubling, um, and they, they don't fit nicely into our uh, into our narratives. Um, facts are just so like twentieth century. I, you know, I, I think we really need to move beyond them. Um, the uh, <clears throat> I mean, this thing is, is uh, you know, I, 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 Michael, I think you pretty much summed it, summed it up well there the the, find, the part that i find interesting about this is that this was really it, it, her, her you know her thesis was missing for a few years or it's been missing for years um, it went missing the paperwork was just bad but it was the early 80s um, apparently it was typed up on a typewriter and you know bureaucratic snafus happen in a big organization when dealing with paperwork from the 80s that's just you know that's not exactly a story um <clears throat> and l s e as you, as michael noted has reconfirmed it or, you know that you sh- that she got her uh her degree uh, multiple times so there 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 should be no doubt there what i find really interesting about this though is that <clears throat> this challenge came out of the deep green uh, end of the political spectrum so these are people who are nominally on her side but aren't um and these are the people who are backing annette Liu and the formosa alliance and so the, so that's where it started but the deep blues are starting to pick up on it though apparently how long been uh in some leaked minute meetings which i saw a report on He was cautioning against the KMT pursuing this whole line. Uh, He thought it was kind of silly, and that's the former Taipei mayor um, and current vice chair of the party. But you're seeing, again, deep deep blues picking up on it and deep greens. So essentially it's kind of the the rather extreme ends now of the political spectrum are – trying to find anything they can. So now that the that, that the thesis has been, you know, produced and now that LSE has once again reiterated that, you know, everything's fine, now they're going going down to they're questioning the margins on the paper, the quality of the paper, the way it was typed, the number of American spellings which Apparently, according to them, the LSE would never have accepted, in spite of the fact they've already said they did, uh, you know, they would never accept American spellings, never mind that she's a foreign student who was educated in the United States, um, you know, and it's all these little tiny details like, you know, oh my goodness, there's a typo on page, you know, whatever. Um, and a lot of this, it brings back, you know, a lot of the questions that were raised uh, about mind uh uh, you know his thesis, um, and there were all these allegations of you know thousands and thousands of errors, which turned out to not be true. There was a handful of little errors, and um, but, you know so this seems to be a recurring theme. If they can't find any other dirt on you, they nitpick and uh, your your thesis. That seems to be a, a recurring theme here.
0: Donovan, do you think there's anything to uh, just slightly whispered rumors I've been hearing that uh, this uh, orchestrated uh, campaign is a ploy to try to get Tsai to dump uh, Vice President Chen and uh, go with uh, Lai Chingda as a uh, Tsai life, you know, ticket?
2: Well, I mean, here's the thing. They don't need to do that, uh, to do this to, for that. Um, and the thing is, Chen already during the during the primary said that he would step aside. Precisely so that that could happen. So Chen has already smoothed the path for it. Uh, There's already lots of pressure uh, and calls inside the party for a Tsai Lai ticket. I'm not sure how this actually helps their cause.
0: Yeah, well, if they're trying to help Annette Liu win the presidency, um, that's that's, uh, her and James Song ought to get together and have a conversation. (laughs) Uh,
1: To be honest with you, Eric, I don't think there's any helping the former vice president. Agreed. (laughs) Anyway, moving on to completely different news. Greenpeace Taiwan this week urged the next president, basically, to come up with a sustainable energy policy to cope with global warming and climate change. Now, the call follows the release of a Greenpeace report, which said that coastal areas of southwestern Taiwan, such as Tainan, are expected to suffer the worst flooding on the island, as ocean levels rise because of said global warming. Now, Greenpeace East Asia's energy project manager, Tung An, says if global greenhouse gas emissions are not reduced by twenty. 50, it's estimated that flooding caused by a rising sea level will affect more than 1.2 million people here in Taiwan. Now, according to the Greenpeace official, estimates show that up to 1,398 square kilometres land will be impacted here in Taiwan due to global warming, and that includes 310 square kilometres in Tainan, or basically all of Tainan, Michael.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I'm not going to quibble with uh, Greenpeace's uh, estimations or, or uh, facts, but uh, if we're talking about rising seawater, uh, sea levels, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to have to point out that uh, uh, not far from where I sit right now is the uh, Shizuan gaoshong port, and uh, that's about... 3 or 4 inches away from the ocean then you have the Yenchan district of Gaoshang which was uh, made by the Japanese back in like 1925 when they dredged the harbor and used all that mud and and uh, silt to create an entire neighborhood that sits there and just sort of uh, is uh, basically floating uh, 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 on very very uh, shaky uh, silty soil So, yeah, Tainan might be uh, in for some trouble, but uh, I don't think we should rule out trouble for uh, bigger places, bigger cities, Kaohsiung included. So it doesn't sound good for all of us.
1: And, Donovan, will you be buying a dinghy?
2: Uh, well, no, I, I, I'm thinking that Hangwell, you has the perfect plan. Let's just build giant wheels uh, with residential housing in them. I, they, you know, it'd rise up above, and, you know, you could go down, re, you know, get some water when it comes down, and then, you know, I think we should just move to a giant Ferris wheel uh, residential model.
0: In all seriousness, though, there's an there's, there's a interesting debate that I've been following about this particular thing, and on one hand, there is the let's cut carbon, but this requires something that the entire planet would have to do, and Taiwan could, you know, go completely solar 100%, and it's not going to necessarily affect uh, uh, rising temperatures or sea levels in the world. The other argument that's being put out there is let's start building seawalls, or let's, you know, follow what the Netherlands has done for hundreds of years, or let's start figuring Figuring out ways of, of blocking this because it's happening whether we like it or not and i'm starting to fall into the second camp you know because uh, we don't seem to be making a lot of progress so the last time i looked we had increased co2 levels over the past decade by i don't know what was it 15 to 20% so that's not good so maybe
2: maybe seawalls yeah seawalls might be good yeah
1: and are you? i mean people in Taijong worried about rising sea levels donovan
2: i you know i, I people aren't raising the topic around me very much um i you know generally the 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 conversation's more about air pollution here i mean we've got the dadu mountains uh kind of separating the downtown from the coast um so the coast might be flooded uh there's a fair number of people down there but um you know downtown on the other side of the mountain. People aren't really talking about it that
1: much. Right, and before we go this week, we'll flip back quickly to election news. And the Central Election Commission this week announced that basically, well, they, people will be banned from wearing items of clothing that promote a specific candidate or a political party to the election polling stations. But apparently people will now be allowed to wear clothes with the national flag on when entering polling stations. So a good move or bad move, Michael, because, of course, the national flag does sort of desert Ignite a political party
0: yeah it 's a, it's a, uh, a very interesting thing that you 've got uh, police officers walking around with the KMT logo on their you know uniform, which is uh, definitely something you you likely wouldn 't see in most democratic places but uh, the interesting thing for me is that they 're going to add a thousand new polling stations for two thousand and twenty and they have been doing actual live uh, practice or they 've had you know, uh, the whole uh, dress rehearsal for it. You've got people rushing in trying to uh, complain that they didn't have a chance to vote. You've got people taking photos with secret cameras, and so they're trying to detect all this stuff. But a thousand new polling stations is probably the more important part of this story because. If uh, we go back to the election of Han down here in Kaohsiung, it was shocking to see the lines. We just don't see this usually in Taiwan for elections. An election, you can go down, usually within 10, 15 minutes, you can uh, have your vote done and walk away. There's a polling station, you know, within 500 m- yards or meters of your home, and it's, it's simple. But it wasn't that way last time around. And it appears that 2020, the, uh, both sides seem to be very polarized, and there seems to be uh, indications that there will be a very, very high vote count. So the 1,000 new polling stations will hopefully uh, mean that on the night of the election, we won't be waiting until 2 or 3 a.m. for a, a final count, and we'll get this, you know, over with. So that's a good thing, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and apparently going the, the increase in polling stations is going to mean that, apparently, each polling station will now have um, 13.5 members of staff working in them, Donovan.
2: Uh, yeah, um, you know, I, I, it's... it's where they're going to find the 0.5, I think it's, it's hard to qualify as a 0.5 of a person, but yeah, that, that's an improvement. Um, the, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Michael. The, uh, the increased numbers is important, and I think that the DPP learned their lesson. It, it's entirely possible. That they lost, uh, you know, uh, at least you know a percentage point or two in the last election, just simply because they they did screw up the, poll, the you know the polling so badly, and it reflected very badly on them. I mean, they knew the referendums were coming, um, and they really kind of dropped the ball organizationally. So it looked it looked very bad for them as a party. Um, so getting it right, uh, getting it smooth you know, this time is. I think it's important because it does reflect on the administration. So, and this time around, unlike last time, this is last time is kind of a referendum on the current administration. This time it is literally an election to reelect or to depose the current administration. So, um, you know, they really have to get it right. Um, on the flag issue, what I'm very curious to see is how are they going to handle, because you know somebody is going to test them on this, uh, that you can apparently wear the national flag. However, there are various proposed Taiwan flags that are not Republic of China flags. If people wear those, how, uh, how are they going to respond?
0: Yeah, it's an issue of freedom of speech, right? If you're allowed to uh, take the, the ROC flag in and somebody else wants to take a, a DPP flag in or, or one of the, as you noted, one of the proposed ones for a possible independent Taiwan, yeah, it would be a court challenge or, or potentially a court challenge.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, um I- yeah, I mean, they, and they also claim that you know, I mean, the KMT you know has released images showing that the 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 huge difference between their logo and the logo that the government uses, which is basically the uh, the amount of blue margin around the, <laughs> the, the logo. Um, so yeah, it is essentially the KMT logo. Um, so can the you know the the DPP flag be put? Could could you, for example, have a red field? but have the DPP flag up in that corner. Um, I mean, there may be some creative challenges to this.
1: And we'll leave it right there with creative challenges looming on Election Day. And that's where we'll end it here on Taiwan This Week, and I've been joined on the telephone today by Donovan Smith and uh, have a great weekend and Michael Smith in Kaohsiung thanks again for having me thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me Gavin Phipps and don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week Podcast on iTunes and Android Podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows